0: A few things I want to just point out that were, that seemed to be true about these, these houses. So they were built around a courtyard. And so there was a lot of opportunity for there to be people uh, kind of on the roof, looking down at the courtyard. You could use the courtyard as a gathering place. Um, and even though their houses were smaller from the in, inside square footage, much smaller than our houses today, because of this courtyard design, they could easily facilitate 30, 40, 50 people.
1: Welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called A House for Community, where we provide households with personal coaching for how to build a community and turn your home into a hub for community relationships. So if you're interested in learning more about A Thousand Houses or checking out some of our other resources, visit 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode.
0: One of the things that obviously is really important when you are trying to do community through your house is the house itself. I really believe that God has his eyes on not just our families and our relationships with each other, but also our physical dwelling place because this really matters when you begin to use your house as a as a base or a hub for this kind of community. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to prepare your house. And a basic phrase that sort of has stuck in my mind about this is that Facilities need to facilitate, right? And when we look at like a school facility or a church facility, the whole word there, facility, is that there's something that is wanting to be done that needs to be facilitated. And one of the things that's tricky is that houses are not necessarily designed to be the hub of a kingdom community. There are things that you may want to see facilitated that your house may need to be adjusted to facilitate over time. Um, and so this is something we want to keep in mind, just be aware of. A lot of stuff that we're going to talk about in this in this segment is not things that are absolutely necessary. We're going to talk a lot about the ideal. Almost none of you listening to this is going to have all of the uh, components that I'm going to describe, Facilitates kind of the perfect uh, sort of house environment for the hub for a community. Um, and I'll talk about in our case, we had almost none of these when we first started this, this journey. And so don't think about this as... The, a checklist of things that are absolutely necessary. Think about this as an ideal, a trajectory. <clears throat> it's really important for us to be aware of what these ideals are because <clears throat> as opportunities come our way to actually uh, do these things, to maybe buy the right house or add on to the house um, or, or do a little remodeling, it's really important for us to be aware, okay, that I can see how that's going to facilitate this kingdom community expression uh, in a lot better ways. So let's talk about that. But first, I want us to look at the the way a upper middle class house looked like in the first century. So I'm going to show you guys a picture of what houses looked like during the first century when house church was kind of the norm in the Roman Empire. And I, this kind of picture has always kind of been seared in my brain. Um, a few things I want to just point out that were that seem to be true about these these houses. So they were built around a courtyard. And so there was a lot of opportunity for there to be people uh, kind of on the roof, looking down at the courtyard. You could use the courtyard as a gathering place. Um, Even though their houses were smaller from the inside square footage, much smaller than our houses today, because of this courtyard design, they could easily facilitate 30, 40, 50 people. Um, In a meeting space, and in the climate, at least in the climate in Israel, there's only uh, the rainy seasons, only once a year, and it usually only rains about two weeks of that rainy season. And so, unlike where many of us live, um, it wouldn't be practical for us to try to host a weekly um, or multiple weekly events in an outdoor space. But that was reasonable in a lot of, uh, for a lot of people in that Mediterranean climate, especially up in the. Uh, more mountainous areas. Um, so but that's the way that things looked back then. And so you have in the New Testament all of these references to these uh, these people who were hosting gatherings of 30, 40, 50 people in their house. And I always wanted to just picture where were all these people sitting. And so this gives you an idea of, of what they were dealing with. Now when you think about our houses today, the way that we we uh, architect a house, one of the really one of the advantages of modern Uh, house architecture is the trend towards an open uh, floor plan, Uh, especially on the first floor where the kitchen and the largest gathering room um, don't have any walls separating them. And so this kind of trend is really allowing us to gather more and more people into a typical house, whereas 30, 40, 50 years ago, the average house would not have facilitated groups of that size the way that houses often do today. So I want to talk through, there are five spaces Uh, or five considerations that are really important to consider when you are thinking about what facilitates, again, the ideal house design for uh, facilitating these kinds of community activities. So the five spaces are an indoor meeting space, an outdoor meeting space, a kids play area, an indoor child care area, and then the location of the house itself. So I want to talk through just briefly each of these considerations. So an indoor meeting space simply refers to the place that you are going to all be meeting during the months where you can't meet outside, uh, when there's rain or weather, when you want to stay focused and there's lots of noise outside. It's really important, of course, to have an indoor meeting space. So we're all kind of aware of that is ob- always gonna be something that that's really helpful. An outdoor meeting space is also really important um, or helpful, especially when you're beginning to build community or invite people that are not familiar with your your group. So we're gonna talk a lot about things like an open supper, or open table time, um, those are oftentimes a lot less intimidating when they're outside. So um, so that's something that to consider. Is there a way or a place outside that might facilitate that kind of, of a meal or a meeting? The third is a kids' play area. A big part of of course what it means to have, uh, people over is having families oftentimes with little kids and so having a place where the kids can go that's safe and that's really fun for them um, to be able to get their energy out to, to interact together can be um, an awesome experience and, and a part of that missions hub or that community hub and the fourth thing is the an indoor childcare area so obviously uh, we'll talk a lot about how to handle kids in gatherings and we um, give you lots of training on exactly how to invite kids into gatherings But there are times where it's important to do some child care. We're going to talk about that as well And so where would that be done in a way that wouldn't be constantly disturbing um, your gatherings? And then the fifth is just the location itself, how far are people driving in order to get to this hub. If it's a hub, it sort of suggests that there are, are spokes and that, that the hub is sort of in the middle. And so are you way off to the side? Um, that's a challenge. Okay. Now I want to talk a little bit just personally about our situation. When we first bought our house um, that we live in today, 10 years ago, um, these five elements, we only had one of the five. So. We did not have an indoor meeting space, an outdoor meeting space, a kids play area, an indoor childcare area. We only had one of these, which was the last one. It was in a great location. So we were in the middle of a really cool town that was really close to downtown Cincinnati and very accessible from people from lots of parts of the city. But that was it. Our largest gathering room in our house that we we first bought uh, that we live in today, it could maybe fit about 10 people comfortably. Um, and that's it. And we have, you know, seven in our own family. If my parents come, that's nine. Now we're supposed to invite other people in. Our house was built in the late 1800s. And so it was a very chopped up sort of um, design and there was no large gathering spaces. Um, so we, we sort of had to have this vision and we still hosted events and it was oftentimes uncomfortable. And this is why I want to encourage you guys, this is not a deal breaker. Um, it's really important for you to move forward in, in the decisions about, um, about community, and about hosting, um, and just use what what you have. Um, but it's also then important to have an idea of what that ideal is. And so, because we had both of those in mind, we started with a house that was um, that was a great in a great location and had lots of room to grow. But it wasn't it was it really needed a lot of work to get to a place where it was an ideal community hub. And so over time, we added on a large gathering space, we added on a large front porch where we could host outdoor uh, meals. Uh, we've we've added on in the basement, a finished area for kids. And just this week, we started to uh, build out our sort of outdoor child kind of area because our kids are older. Um, we didn't really have a playground or a trampoline or any of those kinds of things for kids to play. So we're beginning to build that out right now. And that will give us all five of these elements, but it's been 10 years in the making and we've had this vision for a long time. Um, so that is kind of how we think about facilitation. It's really just important to, to, to see, okay, these are the different types of areas that that there are to consider. And a lot of times when we are beginning to remodel or even looking at houses, we need to have in mind, okay, if this is a calling on us, what is there potential for some of these spaces? Um, we need to really think through these things um, and facilitate what God wants to to see take place in our homes. Um, I also want to just point out that one of the things that is, it's really tricky when you begin to move from from sort of the traditional church building structures into homes is that in the kingdom, almost all the sort of donation money is being uh, put towards the facilities that are the buildings as opposed to in the homes themselves. Of course, this makes sense given the way most people do church today. but um, But we spend in just America... Uh, about $25 billion a year just every single year on on buildings that we can meet in and that we meet in, you know, maybe a couple hours a week. And so one of the questions I've been really wrestling with is um, we're funneling so much money toward those buildings. If we could funnel just a tiny fraction of that into the houses that we live in every single day and that we might host many things every week um, in these kinds of community environments, that could be a major blessing for a whole community, but maybe that's not really possible for one family to afford to build out all of these different spaces. And so one of the tools that exists out there that a lot of people know about that have been in ministry is that there's something called a housing allowance that the IRS allows, which is um, back in the day when people used to, clergy used to live in a parsonage, which was a actual house that oftentimes they would be required to live in, that would be right next to the church building the IRS created a special designation that basically said, hey, that parsonage is there, and it's obviously being used for ministry, and so we're gonna allow you to receive income for your housing that's at a much lower, uh, that's taxed at a much lower rate. And then, of course, when these parsonages began to be sold and then pastors began to live in, uh, in other parts of the city, that housing allowance was allowed to be um, given to anyone who was in that kind of ministry. But what do you do when you are facilitating a kingdom community in and through your house that might have multiple meetings a week. And I think this idea of a housing allowance could be, it's actually in in really in line with both the the spirit and the letter of the way the law is written. And so we've done a lot of research on this at 1KH to to really make sure this is a viable option. Um, I wouldn't say this is a first step. I think this is something that you can imagine if you're a couple years into building your community and and the group's growing and that you're hosting multiple things a week and you're noticing you just keep running out of space and this is really becoming a bottleneck then doing something like taking some income as a housing allowance in order to help facilitate the building out of better spaces in that house could be an option and something we could talk about as something that could really bless families to begin to take some of that $25 billion and point it at um, at actual houses that are being used for the kingdom of God. So those are just some ideas. Now, some action steps I want you guys to take as you think about these five different, um, these different spaces. Again, indoor meeting space, outdoor meeting space, kids' play area, indoor childcare area. And then the actual location of the house itself. Um, what, where are you guys at with with regards to your house? Um, which of these five things do you feel like you have dialed in? Which ones feel like they're going to be a challenge? Again, we only had one of these of the five when we first started, and now we have all five after ten years. And so this is an ideal. But are there some small kind of tweaks that might be able to be made that could help maybe add a, a, a one of these, uh, make one of these possible that maybe isn't right now or do you see a trajectory in a couple of years where you might be able to do some adding on or renovating or if you're planning on a move that you might want to really consider as a part of that so take some time kind of write down where your current housing is and what is realistic in the next couple of years if there are elements in the on that list that feel possible to to add to that facility for the facilitation of the kingdom community so so discuss that take some time to write about that we'd love to talk to you guys more about that in the coaching as well
1: friends thanks for listening to today's episode if this teaching stirred something in you and you and your family are sensing any kind of calling or a pool to maybe go down this path in community we'd love to be a resource to you as you explore this so if that's you we want to invite you to join our coaching intensive called a house for community where we're going to combine online content and personal coaching for you to provide you with the teaching and the tools and definitely the encouragement that you're going to need to see your home become a house for healthy kingdom relationships. For more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash community coaching. We'll see you guys for the next episode.